My name is Lorraine Newman, and this is Game Changers. Hello. Hello, everybody. Vamp, vamp, vamp. Hi, Lorraine, I did it to you, but you got us through the Steve Ferroni thing. Hi, Lorraine. Hello, Vicki. How are you, dear? I'm so fine. Well, I'm not fine, but I'm so happy to be yeah, here with you. Tell what's going on with you and how the show must go on and you're a trooper. The show must go on even though I got the new vaccine. Do you know, this is not a booster, this one. Do you know about this? Well, yeah, I know it exists and I know it's supposed to be like, no more boosters, you know, this is it. Yeah. Is is it true? Is it, is it going to be no more boosters after this? Well, I think what it is, is that there's no more boosters for this shot, which is for a new variant. If right. another variant comes along, then that's going to be another vaccine. You know, so. Well, um, I hadn't intended, I, I've been, have you had reactions to the, to the vaccines till now? Arm, just a sore arm. That's it. Well, that's pretty good. I, I, the first couple shots I had terrible, couldn't move my arm, you know, got really sick. And then I started drinking Fiji water. Do you know about Fiji water? Well, Supposedly, I love it. Be, well, because of the electrolytes or whatever in Fiji water, supposedly if you drink a ton of Fiji water, Fiji water before the shot and then after, you don't have a reaction. So I've done that for the last four boosters and had no reaction at all. Been great. Wow. So I thought this was wonderful and I'm going to do it for this one. And I did it. And Lorraine, I have been, I have peeled myself off the couch and uh, because there was no way I was going to miss this. I'm so happy to have you here. I adore you. <laughs> I love you too. And you know, anytime, honey, you know, and you didn't even know I had it. This is, this is so hysterical to me because we see each other fairly often and you didn't even know that I had a podcast as it's called, which I love. I think it's hysterical, but you were in my living room a number of times. Yes. Back yes. in the day. Yeah. Those were great. Those salons were just fantastic. You know, it's because of you, Lorraine, actually, I believe that I started charging money because I used to not only not charge money, but I used to take money out of my pocket to do those. And I then you walked around with a little bucket. Yeah, well, I figured that because I saw that you had set out food, you know, and the time it took and everything. And I thought, we got to remunerate her, you know. So I got those slackers to chip in. You were absolutely fantastic and you got me started. And then it's not like I ever made money on the thing, but at least it wasn't yeah, costing me money. Yeah, don't lose any. God. Yeah, that wouldn't be good. But anyway, so since we're here and we're talking about this COVID thing, so how have you fared for the last three and a half years? How what what were you doing? What were you what were you in the midst of when when the pandemic hit? Well, frankly, this was just the government sanctioning the way I normally live. <laughs> so I was thrilled, but you know, also um, the animation uh, thing could be done at home. So I worked all through the pandemic, thank goodness. You know, Netflix sent me equipment. From the very beginning? Yeah, yeah, they were wow. on it. So um, worked all through the pandemic, but I did get COVID once. 
And um, the first day I, I suspected it, I had, I had these, you know, sinus infection <laughs> symptoms. And I thought, you know, I just wonder if this is COVID. And I took a test. It was, I couldn't believe it. So I called the doctor and said, hey, you know, I have these symptoms, but, you know, it doesn't seem bad. I think I can handle it. I said, okay. Next day, I was just flattened. I, I, I just, I was, my ass was totally kicked. And they had told me of these two alternatives, the, the stuff that you could get that, that uh, President Biden took. What is that stuff called? Um, no, wait, wait, you're not talking about the stuff that, that Trump took. You're not talking about the horse stuff. No, ivermectin. No, there, no the, iver, ivermectin. Yeah, that was yeah, but that, that Trump stuff. No? All right. Okay, yeah. Biden took that, that he had uh, um, and it came back. Anyway, there were two options. One that you can get. No, Paxlovid. Paxlovid, right. right. So that you could get for free. But then there was another thing that was a um, antibody infusion. And um, I chose that because- I was, remember this. Yeah, I supposedly did not have that bounce back with, with the other stuff, you could get it again. Right. So, um, I swear to God, after this infusion, I was 75% better. Right away? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. And Hannah was taking care of me, you know, leaving food outside my door and stuff <laughs> like that. But um, I really, I was within like three days, I was fine. Which, which version was this? This wasn't the first version of COVID. This was like Omicron. Was it Omicron or something? I think it was the first version. It was. That long ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so did you lose your sense of taste or smell or any of that fun stuff? No, no. And do you know how you got it? Yes, I do. A recording session. Yeah. Somebody had come in, one of the people, because we all recorded together. And they just casually mentioned that they had been around someone who had COVID. You know, um, <clears throat> but I hadn't had it at that point. And I thought, mm -hmm. maybe, who knows? We all think yeah. we're invincible. So... So did that make you more or less, did you feel invincible after that? Okay, I've had it. I'm okay. I don't have to worry anymore. Oh, no. I mean, from the very beginning, I was not one of those people that thought you had to wash your groceries. And I was not afraid to go to the market. Uh, as long as I wore gloves at that point, wearing gloves and a mask, I didn't, I wasn't afraid. I figured that mm -hmm. would protect me. And it did. Mm -hmm. And then I guess as time went on, you know, we, we just kind of, it was at that point where people were saying, you know, you, you don't have to wear the mask anymore. And um, that's when I caught it. <clears throat> okay. So now though, I saw you recently and we went to a restaurant, we sat outside, but when you went inside for a moment, you did wear a mask. So you're, are you back to wearing a mask now? Yeah. I went to a movie yesterday and wore a mask. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so you have, you travel, you travel for for work um not really i did take a vacation last year i went you to, went to italy went to italy and, and london and england and uh you know how long those flights are but i wore a mask the whole time you, di you didn't eat yeah i i ate but yeah. you know, yeah. literally yeah <laughs> and so uh so now do you, so having been through it and gotten to the other side, do you feel less crazy about, like, does it, 
feel like, well, if I get it, I'll be okay. And no, I really don't want to get it. Yeah. I don't want to get more than once. You know, um, my oldest child, Spike, is so informed. Um, and they tell me all sorts of things uh, about long COVID and what can happen if you have it just twice. Uh, and so they don't just, tell me the, the, don't tell me that. I'm not no. going to tell you. Don't tell. So, and, and by the way, Mazel Tov on Spike, there's going to be a wedding. Yes, there is. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and you're happy about that. Yeah. I, I love her boy, their boyfriend. Uh, he's the best. And um, I'm glad he'll be a part of the family. It's great. How wonderful. That's one. That's. And so do you, is the wedding on you? Do you, is it like, are you going to be planning a wedding and all of that kind of stuff? They, they are planning it. Themselves. Nice. Yeah. Isn't that good when you have grown up kids and they do that kind of stuff? That's a good yeah. thing. So you've had a lot of mazel with uh, being a mom and having kids, but also you're, you're very outspoken about the fact that, you know, it's a tough gig too, right? A yeah. very tough gig. And the whole Nepo baby thing really, um, it bothered them a lot. And, and in fact, in the very beginning of, of both of them starting to get work, they never talked about me because at that point, people didn't know I was their mom. What? I, I understood. I understood. It, it took a while. People didn't know that I was their mom for quite some time. Really? So, yeah. And again, I understand why. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't want to think, you know, it's so belittling this whole idea of nepotism because mm -hmm. that can only help you for so long. And it's like I had any power to get them work. I mean, I don't have that. But, um, <laughs> you know, if they did not have the goods, they wouldn't be continually getting work which they are absolutely absolutely um and i'm sure you're very and i know you're a very proud mom and uh a lot to be proud of and that's so exciting uh it could easily go the other way so did you not have i mean i i'm may we may you live in interesting times i am fixed for those of you who don't know lorraine okay why did you choose Audible? Lorraine did her book on Audible, only on Audible. Um, why did you make that decision, Lorraine? Well, because it's a vocal performance. It is. And their their business model also is that it only be Audible, it not be in print. And they were the first people to ask me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and I really did feel that that of all forms lent itself to my skills. So I was happy to do it that way. But there are a lot of people that have said, why isn't it in print? And, you know, I don't have a hard copy to sign or anything like that. So that's kind of frustrating. But um, I am glad that, that I did it on tape. It's fantastic. And also it, 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 it leans totally into your skill set. I mean, you're a voice actress, one of your major skill sets. So it's wonderful to hear you to hear you tell your story and um and I'm loving it so I, I was telling Lorraine before we went live that I had intended to skim it I thought okay it's nine plus hours and I've got two days I'm gonna speed through no listening to every single word it's just phenomenal your performance of it is phenomenal the story is phenomenal and you're what I I love I I, I know you fairly well and I know you in life to be honest and forthcoming and but you are you I'm so taken by how 
willing you are to be vulnerable about your fears and your insecurities and all of those things that we don't expect from someone. Well, I made a point of talking about that because quite often you read biographies and people are not willing to show that. And they tie the story up with a pink bow. And I was determined to, if anything, really talk about failure. I I thought it was important to do that. I, I wouldn't sum you up by using that word at all. <laughs> well, there were intermittent um, times where there was failure. Well, yeah. where you felt that way, I think, more than that was really the truth, mm-hmm. probably. Um, but also, your background is so interesting. Okay, so let's let's talk about it. What you feel comfortable to tell us, we're gonna, people are going to get the audible. And So now, what do you do when people come to... When you celebrate the book, how do you do it? Well, initially I did a book tour, but I did And how do you do that? Well, you just go and you kind of talk about the book and then you do a Q&A. And then the last part of my book tour I did with my dear friend, Alan Zweibel. And so we did ours together. We, you know, I talk about mine, he'd talk about his, and then he had Dave Barry uh, interview both of us and it was really fun. We had so much fun. And now we're doing like a speaking thing in, in Irvine. And we're hoping that that will lead to more speaking engagements. And so you don't, is there a way you can sell product at the end of this thing? Like, do you have a card that people can purchase? No. 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 You need merch, Lorraine. <laughs> I don't know what's proprietary for them or not, you know. Wow. Okay. So, so without giving, we, we don't want to give your story away, but we certainly want to learn more about you while we're here. So I, I adore your sister, Tracy Newman, for those of you who don't know, and um, Tracy's a bit, a little bit older mm-hmm. and had already, um, and yet you both were, were founding members of the Groundlings, correct? Yeah, it's uh, it was just like a confluence because she had all had all this success in New York. She had her own show on PBS and um, she was like, you know, MCs at, at all these clubs like the Bitter End and the Improv. And she knew all the comedians. I mean, I met Richard Pryor when I was 14 because he came to play at the Troubadour, if you can believe that. And for those who are watching that don't know the Troubadour, it is a small club mm-hmm. and um but you know she said hey I want you to meet my friend who's playing at the troubadour um, and so she knew all these people and but then she was back in LA and she was in this improv workshop and I was at Cal Arts you know I had gone there just because they offered me a spot because I was someone's audition partner and I uh, I was in the acting program and I I just I just didn't like it. It wasn't for me. I mean, I did join their improv group, which was six people, three women and three guys. And one of the guys was Paul Rubens. So that's how I I'm met I'm so him. sorry for your loss. Yeah, it's, it's wow, you go back a really long way. Yeah, it was 1973. Wow. Yeah. So um, Tracy kept telling me about this improv workshop she was a part of. And I just had it with this theater program. So I left and I joined the, the workshop. And it was it was unbelievable because they had, you know, people like Pat Morita, 
and Jack Sue and Tim Matheson and Valerie Curtin. And we were all there just to like, you know, increase our skills. Cause I had studied improv when I was 15. So this was just a continuation for me. So what, what brought you to that? I, I know that you used to do plays on your street or something and there was, yeah. <laughs> right? So how, how did, how did this, did this passion come from Tracy? Did this, where did this passion come from? Um, I don't know. Um, your I, father, your father was. No, neither of my folks were in uh, the entertainment business. My dad was a quilt manufacturer and, and ultimately my mother was um, an architect, self-taught. Um, self-taught. Yeah, very talented. And, um, but I played by myself a lot and my imagination was just very, you know, rich. And I lived in a fantasy world a lot when I was very young and it just kind of turned into performance but what it leaned towards was me writing my own material all along. Like even in camp when I was nine, I was writing my own stuff. And so, you know, I'd get laughs and it was like, oh my God, this is it. This is <laughs> so what did that look like at nine? Like what kind of, what did you write when you were nine? Oh, I wrote the, and I made my own props, by the way. You <laughs> There was a long time ago, you wanted to connect a phone car, an operator that had a switchboard stick a connecting tube into it. And so I had the switchboard, you know, with the strings attached to Q-tips and hold. And I played this operator getting confused, you know, something that I'm sure has been done before. But uh, yeah, and it was it was good. And then I went to another camp and I played the guitar and there'd been like a baseball game that day and I was shouting my guts out, you know, cheering. And when I started to sing, my voice cracked and it got a big laugh. You know, I didn't intend for that, you know, but once that happened, it was like, Oh, how can I get more of that? So it kind of, you know, laughs were really important in our house anyway. So um, yeah, humor. My dad was a funny guy. My mother was inadvertently funny. She inadvertently, was, what does that mean? Well, she, unintentionally, she would. Yeah, yeah. I, things I like. Um, sorry. <laughs> she no, like, I know what the word means. I just mean. I'm gonna give me an yeah. example. I will yeah. give you an example. Excellent. Uh, she said, you know, to nobody in particular. Well, to um, actually to my dad, she said, when one of us dies, I'm getting a jaguar. <laughs> so you know, it was. She didn't mean it that way. But yeah. Yeah. And so I'm um, I'm wondering why you were alone a lot. You have a twin brother and you have other siblings. Yes. So why alone a lot? Um I um listen to the book. <laughs> uh, well, I I am. I'm yeah, asking yeah. for the sake of our audience. <clears throat> I it's it's complicated to get into it, you know. My brother and I were very close till we were four years old mm -hmm. and then we kind of diverged. Mm -hmm. And also my older siblings were out of the house, mm -hmm. even though Tracy still lived at home. She was 16. Right. So she was like with her high school friends. So mm -hmm. I was kind of by myself and I kind of liked it that way because I could live in my world. And so this world you created so were you so were you shy 
other than when you were in your world? I was an introvert that was a show off. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would see other people do stuff and I would think I can do better than that, but I wouldn't dare say that out loud. And I wouldn't assert myself unless I was asked, you know, you had to be invited to the party. Okay. Yeah, like a so, <laughs> so, so you weren't, you weren't the class clown. You weren't. Well, I was actually, I was. You were. Yeah. Okay. So were you getting, in, did you get in trouble? Were you like a troublemaker? Yes. yes. Well, I mean, I was pretty much a good kid. You know, I wasn't like ditching school or smoking or, you know, having sex or anything like that. Um, and I wasn't doing drugs until later. So, um, but yeah, I was a pretty well-behaved kid, but I, I remember a couple of visits to the principal's office. Mm -hmm. And so how, so how with this age gap between you and Tracy, how did you both end up as founding men, members of the Groundlings? How did this come together? Well, that's what I mean by it really being an odd confluence because, you know, she was doing this thing mm -hmm. and I was doing that thing over in, in Irvine, not Irvine, it's Newhall. Mm -hmm. And um, I kept complaining to her about, about CalArts. And she said, join this company that I'm, it's not even a company, it's a workshop, join this, you know? So I did. It's what she happened to be doing at the time and what I needed to be doing at the time. And so how long were you in the Groundlings before Lauren came to call. Um, well, you know, we actually started in uh, 72. And uh, I went there in 73. And um, so I would say two years. And first he came with Lily Tomlin and I worked for him on one of her specials. Then he came back and then hired me for SNL. And so how, how was, you were, you were very young. How? I was 23. 23. Yeah. And what was there? 23. <laughs> was there support? Did, was there jealousy? I mean, how was it in the company that this was happening for you? You know, um, that was a very supportive company. We all knew each other. We all loved each other. And um, nobody knew what this show was going to be. Mm -hmm. you know, there were people that were asked that turned it down because they thought it was just another like 13 weeks of nonsense, you know, and they'd already been through that quite a bit. So um, I liked the idea of doing it. I didn't know it would be in New York. Oh, you did not want to do. But, you know, I was only going to be for 13 weeks. With a five-year option, and Which I you, did, you didn't that, think that. No. Mm -hmm. And so, when you loaded up the car and moved to New York instead of Beverly, um, you had a misfortune on your way to New York, did you not? Well, when we arrived, actually, when you arrived, um, we stayed in the village. Me and my boyfriend Arthur stayed in the village for three days, and then we moved to Midtown. Stayed in a hotel one night. And now, mind you, all of my costumes and all of my written material from the Groundlings were in the car, and the car was stolen. But I mean, all my clothes, everything. 
my record collection that killed me. Um, and so I was kind of <laughs> hobbled a bit because at one point Lorne asked me to put on like a show for the writers because he was the only one who really knew what I did. And it was a reasonable request, but I had such stage fright. I mean, that's why had I known Lorne was in the audience or Lily was in the audience, I think my life would have been very different, you know, but since I didn't, what happened happened. But now this was a situation where these were people I didn't know and I had to mount a show for them. And, I, you know, I, I didn't remember verbatim these, these character monologues that I had crafted over time, but wow. hadn't done them for three months, you know, and I had to like, create the you know connective tissue to each beat and it wasn't that good and of course I was also so nervous and my mouth was so dry that my lips were sticking to my teeth and I was watching myself from a corner up on the ceiling and it was just it was awful it, Not, well it couldn't have been too awful you got through it somehow yeah I did and I, it, I found a way to make my characters seem and so how many of the characters that you did in the Groundlings were you able to? Three. Uh, the Swedish cookie lady, mm -hmm. um, this character named Alice, mm -hmm. and uh, the Sherry, the valley girl. The valley girl, the first valley girl. Um, can you tell that story about the valley girl and how she almost was your undoing? <laughs> it's a great story. I'm not uh, sure. The, when uh, you you had a, a word that you were going to say, and uh, it might it was might was going. Oh, to. oh, oh, okay. Well, um, when I heard that they were going to do the 40th anniversary of SNL, I thought, God, it would be great to do Sherry, the Valley Girl, in the Californians, because I had always wanted to be in that sketch anyway, <laughs> and this was my chance, you know. <laughs> so I mentioned it to Lorne, thinking nothing would happen. And then Fred Armisen called me and then he came over. We wrote for three days in my kitchen. Nothing of what we wrote was in the sketch, wow. but it break down the, the mechanics of the dialect, you know, um, a glottal L, which is a swallowed L like, you know, you think Tom Brokaw. And so re words like really, and probably would be really and <laughs> probably. <laughs> and um ing endings would be e-e-n so i was thinking <laughs> i was going you know and contractions wouldn't shouldn't couldn't would be what shouldn't couldn't and um we thought <laughs> fred wrote this little monologue in the sketch for me to say cunt three times and um at the last minute i thought you know this could ruin this show if I did. So I, I, I kind of chickened out. Well, but you also didn't chicken out the first time you did the character. Oh, 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 okay. Right? I yeah. Um, I had, uh, there was in a sketch with Sherry and, you know, I, I said she would say pissed off. Mm -hmm. And we were told by the censor, you cannot say pissed off. So um, I don't want to drop dime on Lorne, but here it goes, you know. <laughs> um, he said, well, you know, don't say it in dress, but 
sat on the air and I was like, okay, you know, because I wanted to. So when I did, uh, I remember that the censor's name was Hermanio Traviesis. And I had to personally apologize to him, you know, because and I had to make it clear that it was my choice because if it wasn't and it was involuntary, then they couldn't trust me. You know, oh. like a loose cannon. So I had to make it very clear it was a deliberate choice. He said, you know, we're going to have to go on a, a seven second delay, which means you're technically not live. I said, you don't need to do that. You know, I did it on purpose. I am so sorry. I will never do it again. And you proved trustworthy. You didn't do it again. I did not do it again. You did not do it again. And I didn't say cunt on TV. <laughs> you didn't say cunt on TV. <laughs> well, you did now, but it's only internet TV. Um, uh, okay, so so you go to New York and you're not expecting to have anything more than 13 weeks. And when do you realize that that's not the way it's going? Do you know right away okay, wow, do you know as soon as you guys go live that this is a thing? When do you realize that? I would say like maybe five or six shows in, Gilda and I would be walking down the street and people would call out lines that we said the night before. And that's when we thought, oh my goodness, people are watching us because you know we were in a really dead spot. It was in place of Johnny Carson reruns. Mm -hmm. We just wanted to have something, you know, and also it was a it was a dead time slot. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like they they didn't care what we did to a limit, you know. Um, but then we realized people were really watching us and then people were writing about us. And so definitely in the first season, we knew that uh, it was catching on. Yeah. And so how was, how was the, uh, so you and Gilda, so you bonded immediately from what I understand. And, um, and how was it with the rest of the cast for you? Well, I, I loved everybody, you know, uh, I'm closer to Garrett now than I ever was. We're really good friends now, not so much then, but he was so much older than me. And I mm. just, I could not relate to him, but uh, everybody else, you know, I just, we were all, you know, I, I think because improv is such a cooperative art form, we were all there, you know, with the habit to support one another. And we did, you know, there were no, you would think there were clicks with the girls. There were no clicks, you know, it was very cooperative. What about Chevy? Well, see, I can't speak for the boys' experience. You know, I mean, no, but you with the girls with Chevy. He was very sweet to us, mm -hmm. you know. And he and I became quite good friends for a while, even after the show. Was it? Was there a weird dynamic when he kind of became a breakout star? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Of course, it left room for Bill Murray to come in and also John to, you know, shine. Take off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so were you aware back then? I don't know uh, 
at what point you started taking substances, but was it clear that there was a lot of that going on and that was that part of the environment? Uh, yes. I mean, you know, in the 70s, cocaine was just uh, thought of in a very whimsical way. <laughs> but I had already come there with the coke habit. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had been turned on to coke at Sawyer Business College <laughs> by my calculator <laughs> teacher. Um, so, you know, but it was not always available. But when I was in SNL, uh, it was very available. So um, that changed. And of course, the difficulties of the show, that would be how I would like drown my sorrows. I didn't drink, you know, so that was really how I dealt with uh, the difficulty, the emotional strain of doing the show. And, and it's only years later that I realized that everybody was having problems, you know, in their own way. So, so what was it like? week after week, how much would you have to battle to get something on the air? And did you battle or did you just take what was given to you? Did you get in there and fight for, for what was yours? Um, it was half and half, you know, I think towards the end, I just kind of would do what they wrote for me, but quite often they wrote great characters for me, you know, which was very, you know, such a vote of confidence. I really liked that. It meant a lot to me. Um, but also I realized that because of my drug use, I wasn't dependable. And How I didn't, so? well, I just, you know, sometimes in read through, I didn't get that you really had to sell the sketch and read through. I didn't get it. I didn't know. Uh, it seems obvious, but at the time, you know, I just was so myopic and inexperienced that I didn't know to do that. I, you know, I didn't know to, I tried to align myself with certain writers, but I just didn't know how to do it. And so I wasn't very successful at it. Even though I learned years later that Michael O'Donohue really liked working with me and Belushi, I had no idea. So more will be revealed as they say. Mm -hmm. And like Alan and Gilda kind great, of. Great team, yes. Mm -hmm. And did you write stuff for yourself? Would you go in and pitch? Um, well, you know, the, the monologue I did in Godfather Group Therapy, as <laughs> show, that, yeah. that was from the Groundlings, uh -huh. that whole thing. Um, and, uh, you know, what? I, I didn't really write anything. I, I would try and sit in on writing sessions and if they did do include a character of mine, I might contribute a line or two. But again, I didn't know to write anything. And I wasn't a sketch writer. I was a monologue writer. Mm. So um, I knew nothing about writing a sketch. Did you learn while you were there? No, I didn't, Vicki. <laughs> I did not. So, okay. So now how... How I, I assume that, and I know I, I listened to your book and I know just from what I've heard before that things change between the dress rehearsal and the, the live show, right? So were you a quick study? Did you get it right away? Did you, were you reading teleprompters? Were you- um, I was reading cue cards. A you lot were of reading cue- Because the thing is that during, between dress and air, internal cuts in a, in a sketch would happen. So what you might have been saying before, you're not saying anymore. 
or you're saying only part of it. So, you know, I, I really wish I had studied more, but um, if it was a character that I knew, oh, the baby mogul was really a character I brought in that <laughs> uh, became the child psychologist. And, and those were characters I created there. Um, I lost my train of thought, Vicki. I was asking you about reading, you was talking about reading cue cards yeah, and, yeah. and the lines changing. Yeah, I, I got very good at, at reading cue cards and not looking like I was. Which not everyone has been that successful in subsequent years, but yeah, yes, you were great at it. I get to it at some point. And so you had a pretty exciting thing happen. Um, I think it was during the first season when you knew you had arrived, when a certain hero called you by your name. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think that might have been the second or third year. Actually. Oh, okay. Um, I was coming home from a photo session with Francesco Scavolo. <laughs> and I was in the lobby of 30 Rock. And in my peripheral vision, I see these two people and they come into focus and it's John and Yoko. And as they walk past me, John goes, hi, Lorraine. And I was, it was like, not hi, hi, Lorraine. Um, I was literally like Lou Costello. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, wow. And when I went into the elevator to go up to 17, I was thinking, John said hi to me in the hall, you know, but <laughs> I said that it was like, God, that kind of sounds high school. So I didn't say it. But I, that must've happened to you a lot in those years of meeting heroes who yes. were fans of yours now. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty exciting. And yeah. still, I'm sure to this day, that has to be it, thrilling. It, it's it's thrilling and it takes me by surprise and it's always wonderful. So, um, I mean, like everybody, musical guests. I mean, everybody did the show. Everybody guest hosted. I'm I'm guessing your comedy heroes, your music, and and you are so into music. And Saturday Night Live was so cutting edge uh, with music. Um, is there anybody else that took your breath away? Well, you know, growing up in uh, part-time in Beverly Hills, you know, you'd see movie stars all the time, mm -hmm. literally. So it wasn't so much movie stars that, that you know, took my breath away. It was musicians. Mm -hmm. and meeting David Bowie was, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the one that really, uh, man. And what what was he... Well, I, I've talked to Candy about this, uh, have, having done the film with him. What was he like with you guys? Was Because he seemed so ethereal and so otherworldly. Was he, what was he like? Well, um, the first time he came on, um, I have a friend, Joey Arias, who is a very famous drag queen now, but he's also an original groundling. So he was also in New York. He was working at Fiorucci, but he was also in a scene. You know, he has original Basquiat and, you know, uh, Herring, Keith Herring stuff, you know, because he knew all these people in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And um, I did not know that Joey and Klaus Nomi were Bowie's backup singers. And I had promised to get Joey tickets at one point, and then I forgot. And so 
I, I just, I was apologizing profusely. And then the day of dress rehearsal, he was there. I thought, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble. What are you doing here? You know? And he, at that point, he stepped up on stage with Bowie. And then when they came off stage, he had told Bowie about forgetting to get the tickets. And Bowie came up and I, I don't remember any of this. This is what Joey told me that um, Bowie came up in back of me and, and hugged me. He said, I had to give him a job. You didn't give him the tickets or something. <laughs> like that, <you> know? <laughs> and then another time Bowie was on my, my like really good friend from middle school, Tony sales uh, had a band. I know Tony. Yeah, Tin Machine, but we, yeah. we were really close friends in middle school. Mm -hmm. um, and so they were on the show. It just, there's so much. Did you know Soupy? No, I did no. not. I, know his, I knew his mother and his brother Hunt. So, uh, oh, so Tin Machine did, the, did Saturday Night Live when you were. Well, they uh, did it backing up Bowie. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Um, okay, so, and then you also, the Stones were on when you were there, weren't they? Yes. Yes. So, oh. so how surreal was that? That was um, utter debauchery. <laughs> they had the doctor who had pharmaceutical cocaine. Oh. And, oh my God, you know, so we were staying up very late all the time. These guys, you know. Uh, they were so nice, though. I mean, there was a party and, you know, the, one of the first records I ever bought was not Fade Away. And I didn't even know it was a cover because Buddy Holly was before my time. Right. And um, there's like a musical break in that that always just killed me. I loved it. And so I said to it was Mick and Keith standing together. And I said, this is probably a stupid question. And they said, don't put yourself down. There were no stupid questions. You know. so I, was, I thought that was so sweet, you know? Wow. And were the parties as wild as we all imagined them to be? Were they as fun and as crazy as? Well, the after party was at a restaurant off, all the time. And we were starving after the show, starving. And to try and get any food at these parties was so arduous because it was like, oh, there's Robert De Niro. Oh, look, there's, <laughs> there's a De Palma. Wait, that's Paul Schrader, you know? So it was just, you know, people table hopping. So that interfered with your food order. It was just, you know, at some point, some of us started to go to uh, Danny and John's bar the blues bar, which was an absolute toilet. And literally, you know, the, the scene in train spotting the filthiest toilet in Scotland, their toilet was worse. Oh, and it was, almost, it was almost like there was, it was almost sinking into, you know, how Wall Street is kind of sinking. Yeah. It was just like the floor was just a little tilted with water. Where, where, where was the bar? I don't remember. Wow. Oh yeah. But, you know, there were uh, amazing people would come in and play and sing at the bar and there was no food there either. But, you know, so was, was eating 
did you guys did you eat did you ever not eat on purpose I mean you were you were all no. so thin you no. eat, there was no eating I did never I listen to me closely mm-hmm. I have never had an eating disorder I have never been bulimic I have never been anorexic I was a thin person that had a coke habit mm. that's it you know mm-hmm. uh no booze you know none of that stuff just the coke I was a specialist <laughs> Um, and so, so, and did that ever get in your way? What my, in, in the, the work, fun. did the Coke ever get in your way of the work? I never worked high. Ah. Yeah. I knew that it would affect my timing and, and everything, my presence. So I never worked high. So. Except for one time. And it was, it wasn't Coke. It was heroin. So that's oh, how fun. <laughs> But I swear to God, my mom called me after that show and she never called me after any show. Never. And um, she called me and she said, you just seemed so mature. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Heroin, a Jewish girl who did heroin. Well, um, it didn't last. It didn't last for me because I could not put up with the nausea because I'm very afraid of throwing up. It's mm. like very afraid and of course nausea and constipation i had said this to alan swanville he was so quick and i was going to say you know as a jew it it was intolerable but before i could say intolerable he said redundant (laughs) yeah so lorraine why uh you got sober very young why why five is not that young well you know, I held out a long time, but comparatively, yeah. Um, what did you have a bottom? I had a moment of clarity because, uh, you know, I didn't lose everything, but mm-hmm. I was about to lose the last thing that kept me in the world, which was my work. You know, I um, had a terrible audition, uh, and all of my auditions are terrible. I just, I was so bad at it. I was so terrified. And my agent, Michael Black, called me afterwards. And he said, so how did it go? And I said, well, I was terrible. He said, good. I'm glad you're aware of that. Because, honey, I want to tell you, they called me and wanted to know what was wrong with you. And so I realized that my world, the last door to the world, was going to close. And that's when I checked myself into uh, rehab. Okay, when Saturday night, so you had a five-year contract. Mm-hmm. You're in the last year of your five-year contract. Um, you're world famous. Um, life is pretty good. Um, you've I got a Coke. I don't know that Saturday Night Live was everywhere, but the United States at that time. Now it is, but not then. Okay, you're not world famous. You're United States famous. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um what what are your what do you and and you've you've got this coke habit but at the time it's you're controlling it because you're able to do your gig and it's wildly successful um wait before we we finish with saturday night live can you talk a little bit about what it was like being lorraine newman in that group and because i i i heard you speak really 
candidly, openly about your feelings about yourself during that period. And there was some insecurity there. Yes. Yeah, because I was, you know, the least used performer on the show. And is that so? I think so. Yeah. Although when I had to research the book and look at some of the sketches that I totally forgot that I'd done, I realized that I was in a lot more sketches than I Mm -hmm. thought I was. Mm -hmm. But still, that wasn't how I saw it at the time. And um, so from my perspective, yes, Gilda was a star and John and Billy were stars, you know, and Chevy um, and even Jane. But uh, whenever people would talk about the cast, they would leave off me and Garrett. That happened for a long time. And it would absolutely kill me, you know? Obviously, it doesn't happen anymore, but it for a long time, it did. You know, the stars of Saturday Night Live, you know, and they said the cast, and they named everybody but me and Garrett. And that was really hard on a very immature, you know, troubled person, you know. So I did not see myself as famous or, or anything like that. And so when it ended, did you have a plan? Mm-mm. I've never had a plan. Never had. Although you were like the first woman in the cast to make a movie. American yes. Hot Wax, right? Yeah. I made two movies, actually. I made uh, Stardust Memories during the show as well. And so what was that like to work with Woody? He was great. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, he was great. Tolerant, and, you know, very flattering. Do you, this is a question that has nothing to do with Lorraine Newman, actress. I'm just curious. Do you, do you have an opinion about all this stuff that Woody's gone through and Nothing that I would be willing to talk about here. Okay, we'll talk about it over lunch. <laughs> um, okay, so so American Hot Wax. Um, I in listening to your book, you said you didn't even know who Carol King was when you took when you got that role. Yeah, um, you know, I had a particular genre of music that I loved, which was blues and R and B. Not knowing, of course, that a lot of the R and B songs I liked, she wrote. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I didn't have any Barbara Streisand records or, you know, it was like, it was like either Etta James or Linda Ronstadt, you know, although I love Joni Mitchell, but it was basically, you know, blues and R&B artists. So I did not know who Carol King was. Wow. <laughs> I know. I mean, people, you know, when Lorne pitched the show to me, he said it's a cross between 60 Minutes and Monty Python. I didn't know who Monty Python was because they weren't on in L.A. Really? No, they weren't on. They 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 were on in 75 after I left. Mm-hmm. They weren't on before that. So I did not know. So, okay. So Saturday Night Live ends. You've got a drug thing you uh what happens what, what, do you come back to LA right away I assume you oh, did yeah yeah I wanted to come home so mm-hmm. badly mm-hmm. and um you know it's funny because my agency kept me working I 
the only two years I didn't work from after SNL till now were the years my kids were born. You know, it wasn't great stuff. Some of it was, but, you know, a lot of it was just forgettable stuff, but I always worked. You know, this was just, um, there was just a lot of anguish within me about so many things, some imagined, some real. Is that different now? Oh, yes. Very different. Thank mm -hmm. the Lord. <laughs> How did you segue into voice acting? Um, I had a manager, Lori Gilbert, mm -hmm. and um, I was really frustrated with my, my difficulty with auditioning. And she said, what about voiceover? She, she set me up to meet Arlene Thornton who was my first voiceover agent. And um, I auditioned for two years and I would get like, you know, guest spots here and there, but no series. And then I studied with this guy named Charlie Adler. And after that, I never stopped working. Wow. Yeah. Did, did Was there a thing that turned the light on, do you think? Or was it a lot of things? From his teaching, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, it is an absolutely different form. You know, you're you are using your body, but only to affect your voice. And so it is simply voice acting. Your facial expressions can affect your voice, but they're not important for the performance. You know, any insofar as you want to use it to affect your voice, but otherwise it's not important. So, you know, like on the box trolls, I played a stout woman. And I played a thin woman and the stout woman, you know, I had to give her girth in her voice <laughs> to make her sound heavy and vice, you know, vice versa. And it was just, uh, I took to it right away. It was really what I feel my skill sets led me to, you know, I could do dialects. I could do all ages of people. I could do, you know, sound like a teenage boy. These are things that I didn't even know I could do until I studied with Charlie. He brought so much out of me. Mm. What was it like going back for the Saturday Night Live anniversary? Did you feel at home? Did you feel like the, the, the mama? Did you, how did that feel? Well, I didn't feel at home because it had changed so much. Mm. The actual like setup and layout of the studio. But, you know, I, I've encountered subsequent casts because of doing Sketchfest, San Francisco Sketchfest. I've met, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of subsequent cast members and become friends with some of them. So in seeing them there, it was like a, there was a continuity, but it was also, everybody was just so happy, genuinely happy to see one another, mm -hmm. you know, as that was my experience of it. We were just glad to be alive. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Lorraine, I know you do um, celebrity autobiography and have for quite some time. Um, how did you, can you tell everybody, I, I've been there, I've seen you do it. Can you describe a little bit about what that is? Well, this is a show that was created by Eugene Pack and Dale Raphael. And uh, basically what they did was they edited celebrity autobiographies and they had people read from these autobiographies. Uh, the last bit that they do is a uh, an amalgam of Elizabeth Taylor's autobiography, uh, Debbie Reynolds' autobiography, 
and I'm thinking, oh, Eddie Fisher. Mm -hmm. And so they cobbled together this, this whole story from everybody's perspective. And uh, it, it's just terrific. It's, it's so much fun. And who, I, I don't remember who you read when I was there. Who, who, who are you reading these days? These days I'm reading uh, Celine Dion. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it depends, like Pamela Anderson and Suzanne Summers, the poetry of Suzanne Summers. The poetry of Suzanne Summers. Bruce Valange did one in my living room. He did Star Jones, I believe, in my living room. It was quite lovely. <laughs> it was yeah, pretty he's wonderful. He's done the show. We, yeah. I toured with him. Yeah. Played okay, so, and, and is this great? I would imagine this is great fun because it's a bunch of you doing it at the same time. Yeah. Lainey comes with my mother to my house a lot. And I oh, know Lainey's, Lainey's, done, Lainey's, done, it. Lainey's oh, yeah. done it a bunch of times. Um, so what what's coming up for you? I know you're doing um, uh, a, a talk with Alan, Alan Swibel. Where are you guys going to be and when? Okay. Uh, Give us the dates. Just look that up. By the way, people are buying your CD through Amazon right now. They are. Um, <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Yes, it's May You Live in Interesting Times. I did not buy the CD. I bought the audio version. I'm, li I'm listening there to the audio. To the best of my knowledge, there's no CD. There is a CD. You can buy the CD, but there was delay. That's why I didn't buy it. You had to wait like eight days to get the CD. Oh, so Amazon does. Audible will sell you a CD that they'll oh, send you. I mean, Audible, but, yes. But yes, but Amazon, I was able to get the download. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is going to be on November 11th at the beautiful Irvine Barclay. Okay. Yes, at and, uh, 8 p.m. And I, I love Alan so much. You two together are going to be magnificent. I I the best I you know I I never would have imagined that we would become such good friends I was going to say so what were you guys like back then because you well, were both I mean, on the show you know, we had like you know I would do voices that he liked it would make him laugh but it, in passing you know uh but now we're really good friends and it's such a gift who who was writing mostly for you you, you mentioned Michael O'Donoghue who was writing oh. mostly for you back then Rosie Schuster, Tom Schiller, O'Donoghue, mm -hmm. sometimes Al Franken, uh, and um, Max Pross and Tom Gamble. And do you have relationships with them today? I see them. I, I went to a party for Jim Downey just the other day, and I saw um, Max there. And it's just, you know, it's it's a family. It's like no time has passed. I oh. love Jim Downey so so much and it was so great to see him can you talk about the party you had at your house um that gilda came to uh sure um it was my 36th birthday and um we just decided to have you know layla nabulsi my friend layla was staying at my house and you know she i'm like such a introvert and she's always like Holly go lightly getting me to do stuff. And so we just, we word of mouth and the people that started coming through the door. I mean, we bought fixings for sandwiches. We, we put it all on a table in, in the dining room, pushed it to the side, 
got all these drinks, and it was like Sam Kinison, uh, Michael Palin, Peter Cook, Steve Martin, um, oh my God, you know, Billy and Danny. Uh, so I Bell, I don't know if Cybell was there. His ro wife Robin was there, Gilda. Um, I mean, so many people, it, it was just, it was, it was amazing. I mean, that's such a catch-all word and it's used so much, but it was really amazing. And um, Layla and Angelica Houston got me a dog. Oh. Yes, they got me a miniature dachshund. Did you want a dog? When I... <laughs> when the, my friend Lynn Scott with her husband Tom, I saw them carrying a wicker basket with a gingham, you know, like napkin mm -hmm. over, it. and then this little nose poked its way out. And I was like, "Oh no, you didn't get dog!" <laughs> and then I see the little nose. And it was like, you know, if I'd been lactating, my my shirt would have been drenched. <laughs> How long did you have the dog? Oh my gosh, eight years, I think. And so that was the last public appearance that Gilda made with everybody with there? Us, with all of us together, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and, Dad and uh, Billy just hoisted their, her on their shoulders because she was saying, I'm going to leave now. It was like, oh no, you know, hoisted her and we're carrying her around upstairs and downstairs and all through the house and she's laughing and Billy's saying, say your goodbyes now. She's a goner. Wow. Because at that point she was in remission. Mm. Well, well, Lorraine, you have lived <laughs> in interesting that. times, huh? Ending on that. Oh God. No, we know. All right. So let's not end on that. You, no. you're a, you're a, I have one more question. You're a foodie. Where did this come? Was your, was your mother a good cook? Where did the foodie stuff come from? My mother was a great cook. Mm. I only wish that I had let her teach me while she was alive because I was like, I'm not interested. Um, but I became interested afterwards. And I really, I think, I just, it's like an art form and it's very, very soothing. And I really don't know where it started, but uh, yeah, I just. I do you do that? Do you cook for yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the time. I love that. Well, Lorraine, I love you. And love you I'm too. I'm so um I'm so happy to have spent this time with you. And thank you it for doing it. And I, I, I've completely forgotten that I had a shot and I felt like crap. Well, so good. thank I'm you. Distract you. And wow. I look forward to seeing you soon in the real world. And uh, everybody. So from Audible, you can get the CD or you can download from Amazon. Um, may you live in interesting and times. Yeah. And aud right. Aud well, Audible, I think you only does a CD. Amazon, you get the download. This is what I found today. Okay. I don't know. This I is know what nothing. I found. I don't know. Anyway, get it because it's wonderful. And then you get Lorraine reading to you for nine hours, which is fantastic. Uh, thanks so much, Lorraine. I love you. I will see you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay.